Good morning, church. This is time for our corporate prayer this morning. Let us pray. Lord God, you have given us so much to be thankful for. When we meditate on your goodness, faithfulness and blessings in our lives, it changes us on the inside. When we focus on the fact that you have saved us and set us free, then the challenges and obstacles in our lives begin to fade away. No matter what we are facing today, we won't forget your blessings. We know you want to satisfy us with good things. If we need healing today, healing is our blessing. If we have made mistakes in our lives, forgiveness is our blessing. If we feel tired and overwhelmed, your strength is our blessing. As we turn our thoughts towards you today, we know you will bestow on us those blessings that will strengthen and empower us to live the life of an overcomer. So today, instead of bringing our needs, we will bring our hearts with words of praise for you, our God, with the words of David found in Psalms 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from the east as from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here before. But the Lord, love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commands. Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honour and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. And the church said, Amen. Morning, church. What a joy to be here. What a facility, hey? And um, when COVID is finished, you won't have enough room in here. So you probably have to have two Sunday morning services and one evening service. So if you think you're busy now, get ready, okay? As soon as the... So it's uh, uh, thrilling uh, to be here. I'd like the uh, leadership team, if they're here, to, to come and stand here on my right and, um, and Sam and Joe to come and stand on my left. Uh, Ali's yeah, Ali's not well, yeah, yeah. So 
You turn around and face everyone, guys. Ali's not well, and um, but uh, while I'm here, this is an opportunity to, because I may not be here for another six months or whatever, is just to let you know as a church family that uh, Sam has been in the role of uh, leading the church for 18 months now. And uh, for those who were part of the journey, you're aware that, that Sam um, had received a trainee minister's credential from our CRC movement. And, um, and so we felt as a board of elders, directors, that the role should be an acting lead pastor role till he received his state minister's license with a marriage celebrant's license. And that's something that our denomination takes really seriously. So it's been my joy to uh, work with uh, Sam. Sorry? My joy too. Yeah. <laughs> to work with Sam going through the competencies. And so we have uh, 100 competencies, trainee minister 30, 30 for state, and then 30 for national. And, and Sam will move into a national credential and probably take another 12 months or so. Um, so I've put him through the competencies, and I'll tell you, he is really competent. And uh, <laughs> he's really competent. And uh, I watched the service last week. I just wanted to sign up. I said, I'm joining this church. How much money do you want from me? I'm in, I'm in on this. So, uh, so he inspired vision and faith, and Joe did as well. So our board of elders, uh, directors, have uh, uh, agreed that... Uh, the status now is he is the lead pastor of the church here and he's heading for his interview with the state uh, credentialing authority and then we will do a formal ordination at our state conference, and uh, national conference rather, and Sam will let you know on that. So Sam, Joe, uh, we are really delighted uh, with this decision and your leadership team here are 150% behind you um, and uh, it, it's thrilling to see what the Lord has done and so it'd be good for us to maybe stand and pray for him, hey? And for Joe. We can't lay hands on each other. Isn't that awful? Praying for the sick. Oh, they can. And uh, let's reach out our hands and pray. Father, thank you for Sam. Thank you for Joe. Thank you, Lord, that you have called them, uh, that you have equipped them, that they have been assessed by this leadership team here at the Hills by our overseeing board of elders and directors over Christian families and churches, and Lord, by our state, our denominational credentialing authority. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that we see the fruit of ministry. Not what Sam says, but we see the fruit of his calling and gifting. And we thank you, Lord, for him and for Joe, as we see her as a ministry gift as well. Bless them as we acknowledge them. Uh, in this role, we thank you they've been acting, but really leading. But now, officially, in that role, we say thank you, thank you, thank you for raising them up and for leading this church forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Good on you guys. Yeah, that was a surprise, huh? You didn't know that. Hey. Your leadership team did. <laughs> um, can I also say uh, thank you for people have been asking me when I came in, how are you doing with your health? And, um, and I have so appreciated your prayers uh, uh, up until February this year, uh, from last August to February, battling with cancer, being... <coughs> Can I give you the gory details? No, no, no. And, um, 
you know, radiation therapy, the whole works. But I had a testing just a few weeks ago. Every six months they test me. They found no trace of it. No trace in that region of my body. <laughs> Hallelujah. So my wife and I and my kids were just over the moon. And, you know, we're trusting the Lord, but there's a natural apprehension. I mean, it was like, I said to my wife, it's like I'm being re-traumatised again from last year. I'm going in for these. So every six months we do that, and that's, for those of you that have battled with cancer, you know that's the journey. But I'm really thankful. Hey, listen, every gift, every day is a gift. I'm using it to the full, to be the best lover possible of people. My wife, my kids, my grandkids, my churches, our movement, and so uh, uh, it's uh, thrilling. Hey, my roles... um, I have three roles, and I head our denominational family, CRC Churches. Um, uh, that's, this is my 18th year. In fact, I'm writing a book that's called... I won't tell you what it's called. It's a top secret. But I'm releasing it at the National Conference. But it'll be all my key messages over the past 20 years that I've given to the movement. And it's a bridge from the past to the future. And I think it'll, it'll help you understand where our denominational family is at. It's our 75th birthday. We were going to have a massive conference, three and a half days, but we've had to cut it back to two. Love you to be there. And particularly on the Wednesday morning where we're doing the formal... The ordinations of our pastors are before our pastors. We induct them in our churches, but we have a formal ordination process where they make a vow uh, before their fellow pastors. So... um, Um, So that's my role in the CRC. I think my my second role that's evolved is being the chairman of the uh, CFC Churches Board and the senior minister with responsibility over the churches that we've planted. So the Seton Church was the mother church. Basically, all the churches have flown from that mother church. But we have actually transitioned. Our initial leadership team of Seton is now become the board of directors, elders over all Christian family centre churches. So that my role at Seton as the lead pastor is like Sam with the leadership team here. So Sam and I are accountable to our board of elders and our leadership team are accountable to them. Even though I'm, I'm still in the role of lead pastor, I've got to send the minutes to the board and they endorse them of every leadership meeting. And, uh, and they, can, of course, can hire and fire us. So we're accountable to them. Um, so uh, at this stage, I've got all three hats, but you know I'm 66, so the day's coming where I'm going to have to let go of some of those hats. But look, I think the role of uh, being the senior minister of Christian Family Centre Churches is probably the best one at this stage. It's just thrilling to see. We started a church in Darwin through Zoom technology. Can you believe it? I didn't even know what Zoom was. I'm totally ignorant of that. And we started it. It's a professor at the university and a high school teacher who I met in Alice Springs and I sowed a seed into them when they left. I said, oh, you guys could start a church up there five years ago. And they just laughed. Well, God moved upon them this year through COVID. They now, we've now, next Sunday, we've leased a facility, not as nice as this, but uh, they don't have any money, but you are planting that church because 7% of your income, like Seton's income, goes into our CFC churches fund and so we support uh, Ben in Alice Springs two days a week and we're actually paying for the lease arrangement for this church in in Darwin out of that fund which is fantastic so even though you're not going you're actually giving so I say pray for them next Sunday it's going to be fantastic Uh, so uh, uh, Dr Gunther his name is he's an expert in Aboriginal uh, care and education and uh, so they've gone now got about 35 people meeting and and when I saw the photo of it I saw one Caucasian, 
you know, Africans and Aboriginal folks and Asians. And I thought, this is fantastic, a church for all people. So, you just, so that's thrilling, and I'm, I'm just keen to go up there uh, for that. Our Alice Springs Church, we bought a property. And again, we bought that property on the combined asset base of the Christian, because the Seton property is worth about 25, 30 million bucks. So we can borrow a fair bit of money as security. And, um, and though, though every church has to cover their own way, obviously, um, so we bought this property in Alice Springs for half a million dollars, 550,000. We've just got a building now going to council to put up on the site. And so that's going to be a challenge. So I'm really pleased to see movement occurring and life and faith decisions. So, uh, hey, listen, I watched last week and uh, it was such an inspiring service. It really was. I watched it yesterday in preparation for today. And I want to build on what Pastor Sam said. And I want to give you four words. Four words, and I hope that I can etch them into your brain, into your subconscious. Uh, because we're conquering giants. That's what we've called the message. We're conquering giants. There was a giant when the school said, you can't meet here anymore. I remember Sam ringing me. And he's kind of had faith in his voice, like he wasn't panicking. And then this opened up. Amazing. Think about it. The amount of money we paid for the school and for the rental, that's what we're paying for this, and we got it 24-7. Isn't that fantastic? Now, I still don't like the idea, this is not God speaking, this is the Greek man speaking, that we're spending 50 grand a year on a lease property. I say, come on, let's buy our own property and pay the debt off. Let's borrow a million bucks and, and so that it becomes ours. So that's just me. That's not the Lord speaking, but it's part of our thinking long-term to say, ultimately... To be wise stewards is better to have our own property and, uh, and to move forward on that way. But we have to rent and we have to lease. And the one at Darwin's about, I think it's three to $400 a week as well. They're really expensive. So anyway, that's, that's fine. Hey, these four words. Four words, four characters. The first word is vision. If there's one word that, that comes out of last Sunday's message was vision. Sam and Joe oozed the vision, didn't they? Didn't you pick it up? I certainly did. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, is it all up there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where there's no vision or revelation, people perish, people cast off restraint. Where there's a clear vision, it helps give us as a community meaning and purpose and direction of where we're going. And every leader has to be able to articulate a vision. I felt last week it was done brilliantly. Nehemiah is one of the best examples of a godly visionary leader. So power, so impacting has he been on my life that I wrote a book about him called The Leader I Can Be and half the book's about his story. But look at this scripture reading about Nehemiah. He goes to Jerusalem to solve a problem. He's a cupbearer <laughs> and he gets transformed into a military governor who's going to build the wall of security that hadn't been built for nearly 100 years and nobody thought it could be done. Then I said to them, this is the people of Jerusalem, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fires. Like Sam said, look at the trouble we're in. We've got no place to meet. What are we going to do? It's easy. To, there's a problem. But our God is a problem-solving God. And, and he says this to them, come on, guys, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Come on, you see the problem. Now let's all work together and do it. But now comes the, the God part. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. The God story behind it. And you, when you read Nehemiah, 
God's breaking into his life and giving him revelation and transforming him. And when he shares the God story, the people go nuts. They go, what? You mean God's in this? They didn't even wait for orders. They go like this. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. He didn't even give the order. I felt that last week. The God story. Those pictures, those paintings, those gates. That V. This provision. I mean, God's fingerprints are all over it, guys. So God is at work. He knows you. He loves you. He loves this church. We've got a fantastic future. And so I just see this as being uh, so, so important. And uh, so there's plenty of vision in this place. Nothing happens in seeing the kingdom of Jesus Christ expanded unless there is a man, unless there is a woman, unless there is a team that has vision. Who runs the Christian Family Centre? Is it Bill Vassilakis? No, no, it's Jesus Christ. Who runs this church? Well, it's Jesus Christ. We are under shepherds. We get our orders from him. And so without him speaking and giving us revelation and direction, we're, we're lost. We don't know what we're doing. And, uh, and so we're, we're competent. We get trained. But the actual leader is Jesus. We are the under leaders, the under shepherds. And your leader has heard from Jesus and there is a vision that's being cast and I trust that it'll take root in your hearts and lives. Secondly, faith. Vision must lead to faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Notice that confidence in what we hope. The assurance about what we do not see. We've got it, but we haven't got it. We see it, but it hasn't materialised. We see it with the eyes of our imagination. We can see it. Yeah, I can smell it. I can feel it. God births that within us when there's clear vision. Abraham, like Nehemiah inspires me, Abraham inspires me by his faith response to God's leading. Have a look at this, Hebrews 11, 8. I don't know if you've ever read this before. By faith, Abraham, when he got called to go a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he's in Ur of the Chaldeans, right where Babylon, or now where probably um, Basra is in Iraq. So right in that near the Persian Gulf, that beautiful fertile crescent where the Tigris-Euphrates rivers meet and huge delta area where millions of people live. And he got called out of there, beautiful agricultural land, a centre of civilization. You know where he gets called to? To the desert, to the arid lands. Like he could have said, God, what are you talking about? You want me to go north and then east? There's nothing there. There's no rain. There's no proper soil. But God speaks to him, and have a look at this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, God called him, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. How's that? That's faith. He's moving forward, and he doesn't know where he's going. God, you better be the, show me the next step. And that's typical of God. He shows you the first step and he expects you to obey. He expects you to put your trust in him. And as you step out, then he enlightens the next path. In the early days of my Christian walk, it used to infuriate me. I said, Lord, just, just tell me exactly the next year, the next 10 years. If he did, I'd probably keel over with a heart attack. In his love... He's very merciful to us. It doesn't show us everything because life is wonderful. But life also sends you some curveballs and things that just knock you around. I'm writing this book 
And that, that chapter I'm writing, this is a couple of weeks ago, that morning I'd just been to visit a beautiful couple, Kath and my age, whose son suddenly died. Just died. 40-year-old boy just died. Then I go and visit one of our key ladies. She's just been diagnosed with a terrible cancer. Like, the life of a pastor, I love being a pastor. That's my heart. I'm a pastor at heart. I love our people. And, uh, you know, leadership really is pastoring, shepherding, serving. But it wrecks you. You think, oh, man, like, Kath and I were thinking, how, how, would, how would we feel if it was our boy or one of our daughters? And uh, you, you, really get, you really get wrecked when, when you see the curveballs that life gives you. I'm going happily along as fit as can be, bang, diagnosed with a cancer that knocked out six to nine months of my life. And it wasn't a, wasn't a very pleasant experience. But oh, I'm thankful to God that he is good. And I'm thankful that I've got a wife that's a top nurse. And she looked after me. Uh, but you see, Abraham didn't know where he was going. But he stepped out in faith. We don't know exactly. And I think Sam presented it. We don't know whether this property is going to become available. It's worth, we think, probably a million bucks. We've got, I think, $250,000 saved. We don't know. But you know what? We're going to raise another quarter of a million bucks to have half a million bucks in three years' time. And if it's not that, it could be something else. But we've got to step. You've got to keep moving. Vision has been cast. Now faith says grab it. Okay? It's the assurance of things hoped for. And we move forward. Nothing happens. Nothing happens in God's kingdom without vision and without faith. There's got to be a man. There's got to be a woman. There's got to be a team. There's got to be a church that believes and trusts the Lord and steps out. I love this. So you're moving, guys. You're moving forward. Now, this must lead to action. Now, Jesus' little brother, James, he nails it. You realise Jesus had some brothers and sisters? Because Mary and Joseph actually got married. There's a bunch of brothers and sisters. And they weren't very pleasant people. Even Mary. In fact, if you read the Gospels, Mary and the brothers and sisters tried to do an intervention with Jesus. They thought, he's gone loco. They're going to kill him. They tried to kill him in Nazareth. He's now, now he's saying he's God. Now he's forgiving people's sins. Now he's accepting worship. <laughs> like, this is too much. They, they tried to do an intervention. That's when Jesus said, when they said to him, Jesus, your mum and brothers are outside. Do you know what he said? Who are my mum and brothers? And he loved them dearly. But he says, you are. Those who do the will of God are my, are my mum and my brothers and my sisters. And he wasn't saying it because he didn't care for them. From the cross, he said to Johnny, he said, John, look after mum and care for her. But um, <laughs> James, he writes a letter. He ends up becoming the senior minister of the Jerusalem church. Amazing. It wasn't Peter. He ends up becoming the leader. He writes a book, the book of James. And it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. If you get Matthew 5, 6 and 7 and Luke 6 and compare with James, very similar. So James had learned from Jesus and he nails it when it comes to faith. He says, if there ain't no action, it ain't faith. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Dead as a dodo, they say. Finito. He says, you can say you have faith, but let me see your faith by your actions. Over the past couple of years, you may not realise, but the team here have been praying for the need. We need a property. That's action. Then they set up a property research committee looking 
And they came back and it wasn't very positive news. It was like, it was really hard. But at least they're doing something. They're believing. There's something out there, but they don't know what it is. They're like Abraham, stepping. We don't know where we're going. Anthony didn't know what he was doing. He was just looking. But finally, through a source outside of the committee, isn't that right? Say the committee didn't have it all together. You think committees run churches? No, they don't. Jesus runs the church and he works through people. And he spoke through a man and said, what about checking out this thing? And then we, the journey started. Whether that's going to happen, we don't know. Then we interviewed the owners. That's action. Then we're checking out the banks. And then Sam came and we came to the board of elders and we had a really good meeting. And, and Sam shared the story and the God story. And, and, and our board of elders, I mean, our board of directors, they're really tough-nosed men and women. Like, sharp when it comes to money matters. And, uh, and, and they've had, you know, David Hersey, who's been on, on our board for 30, since 1984 led me to Christ. Actually, he was my personal nurturer in 1971. So he's in his early 70s. And David is just an institution. And so, but he's, you know, gentle, loving, but tough and shrewd when it comes to money matters, same as all the other members. So they put him through the griller. No, I'm just teasing. At the end, they just said, wow, we're with you. Lead it, young man. Go for it. We endorse it. We endorse it. We believe it's possible. So let's do our sums. And then getting the endorsement of the board has been important. So you've actually moved forward in action. And then fourthly, strategy. Vision, faith, action, strategy. A nameless woman with a major health issue shows us the power of purposeful planning when you have faith in Jesus. She's unnamed. We don't even know her name. When I get to heaven, I'd like to meet her. I'd like to meet her because she has inspired me more than a lot of the fellows in the New Testament, I tell you. So when I get to heaven, if King David is over there and Uriah the Hittite is over there, I'm going for Uriah first. I think he's a hero. The man who got murdered by him to cover his sin. There's some magnificent people in the Bible. This unnamed woman, I mean, she's got a bleeding problem. We don't know what it is. People assume that it was maybe to do with her menstrual cycle or something like that. We're just assuming that. Um, but it, the bleeding wouldn't stop. Maybe she just, her clotting mechanisms didn't work. And so, she's, she's, and so for 12 years, she spent every bit of money she had on doctors. And you know what? It got worse. Didn't get better. And so she hears about Jesus and... and she has a vision of Jesus. Oh, yeah, God in human form. And she has faith arises that if I could get to Jesus, I think he'd heal me. But she couldn't get to him. Hundreds, thousands of people are milling around. And, she's, and of course, you get the feeling like she's ostracized by society because if it was to do with the, the, uh, a woman's problem, then... In that era, it was regarded as being, oh, you know, like keep away from them. Today, of course, we, we understand. So, so, there, there was, so there was a bit of shame. And so she says she couldn't get to him. So you know what she does? She gets on her hands and knees and she crawls through the crowd. And she comes up with this crazy idea. She says, I don't need his booming voice. I don't need him to look into my eyes. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. And if I touch that, I'm going to be healed. And she only does it and she gets healed. 
Jesus goes, who touched me? And of course, the disciples, men of faith, they said, well, everyone's touching Jesus. Like, what's up? He says, yeah, they're all touching me. But somebody touched me with their faith because he felt power come out of him. So see, where there's electric faith, God can't help but bless. Where there's vision, faith, action, strategy, God can't help but bless. It's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith. Nothing happens unless somebody believes and somebody takes action. Well, this woman, have a look at this. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crown and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Wow. Guys, your stewardship campaign is a visionary, faith-oriented strategy. And it's going to require you to deepen the roots of your discipleship. I was talking to Kath on the way up, and there are, there are, there are a lot of churches around the world that are going under through the COVID crisis. Christian Family Centre churches, we haven't missed a beat. Our finances are up. Our attendances are the same. You know why? Because we don't build shallowly. It's like the parable of the sower. We don't build shallow. We, we build disciples. We, we, we make sure people are centred around Jesus Christ. They're not followers of me or followers of Sam. We say, we want you to be a follower of Jesus. If you be a follower of me, you'll see my warts and all and you won't want to follow me. But if you follow Jesus, he's perfect. He'll never let you down. When our roots are deep in him and we are disciples, and a disciple means a dedicated Christ follower, then when you, the strategy that we're employing regarding the stewardship campaign, seriously, it's a discipleship campaign. It really is. It's going to challenge you to say, okay, yeah, I love attending church. The small group's pretty good. Sam's all right. Joe's fantastic. The coffee man, well, he, I'd pay anything for that coffee. That's fantastic. Didn't he do a good job last week leading? I said to him, but he's very good up front. Got some skill there. Discipleship. It's a discipleship campaign because it's going to challenge you to say, do I really believe that God has spoken? Is this vision of God? Do I really believe that I'm part of this? Is, is, am, am I part of this church or not? Or am I just an observer or am I actually a, uh, a participant? Am I just a consumer or am I a, someone who's actively involved so it's going to challenge discipleship and uh, when it comes to giving substantial amounts of money it challenges your discipleship and I'm a Greek man speaking Greeks don't like parting with their money you know that don't you so they've got to be convinced <laughs> they've got to say I want to see the vision is it clear is there faith is there accountability see I wouldn't serve in a church that wasn't accountable I wouldn't serve under Sam. I wouldn't serve under me if we weren't sackable. We belong to a movement, Christian Family Centre Church, where we're sackable. I belong to a denomination, we're sackable. Our board of elders are sackable. We have an advisor. We, like we, we are, you, you've got to, to me, I think that's important for the confidence factor. I wouldn't give my money to some group that you think, well, it's not accountable. I've got nothing to hide. You can find out what my salary is. You can know, you can know everything about our, our finances. So this church 
Christian Family Centre Churches is an accountable organisation and you can safely put your money in and know where it's going and that together you've got to believe what we're able to achieve. And so, so this is a discipleship giving strategy. Sam showed you, and I thought it was terrific, the breakdown last week. You saw that chart? You'll put that in the brochure, won't you? That chart was great. 45 people committing themselves to, and I think a reasonable amount, over three years can raise 70 grand. Can we lift it up to 100,000? Hey, no, I'm just teasing you. It's more than possible. But folks, it's going to take sacrifice. It really will. And, uh, you know, we believe in the, the notion that it's not just equal giving. We believe in equal sacrifice. Like when Kath and I started <laughs> stewardship, we had four little kids and uh, my salary wasn't the best. And so we're just thinking, what can we give towards this? You know what we chose to give? We pray, we'll give up our long service leave. So I gave, whatever it was, Kath, six, $7,000 my first seven years. I gave it up, 10 years, I gave it up and put that money into the church. And because uh, we didn't have disposable income with four little kids. Our last stewardship campaign, we gave $30,000, $10,000 a year, over and above our ties, over and above our mission giving. We can do it because she earns twice as much as me. <laughs> now, seriously, we, our kids are off our hands. We're at a stage of life that we can do that. Some of you are in that position. Some of you are in the position like Kath and I were, you know, 30 years ago. Hey, it's not the amount, it's if you believe in the vision and you have faith and you want to take it, what is God saying to you? So on that date in October, wouldn't it be great? So what we try and do is to say one third, let's put it all, let's make a commitment, save us 10,000 bucks over three years, put a third of it in, one offering, let's say three and a half thousand, whatever, then the rest put it in week by week or month by month. And uh, uh, it's amazing. You know, the very first one that we ran, I remember this, Pastor Davy Smythe would remember this, we had two old ladies in their 90s. And one of them, Mrs. Edna Gent, she looked after Kathy when she was a baby. Mrs. Gent speaks to her, she says, Bill, I want to give my offering. All right. How much? She goes, I'm giving my funeral money. I'm there, what? How much is that? $5,000. No, we can't take that, Mrs. Gent. That's your funeral money. I want to give my funeral money. God's spoken to me. And you didn't argue with her. Like, you just think, what do we do? So we talked about it. Let's contact her kids. And say, look, this is what mum, can you talk your mum out of it? We don't really want this. And they said, no, you can't talk mum out of anything. So we got her in and we actually did a little memorandum and said, Mrs. Gent, if you died between now and the next three years, whatever, we will pay for your funeral. So we just thought, let's do that. Yeah, she's an elderly person. Hey, she put the five grand in. She lived another three years. She put another lot of funeral money in. Hey! And dear old Mrs. Baker, oh, dear old soul from, from Yorkshire, could hardly walk. And she says, Bill, I want to put the first amount in. And she dug out a thousand bucks. And I still remember her walking down the aisle. You could hardly walk. And, and she said, I want to be the first one. I want to lead by example. And she put a thousand bucks in. That was more than what one of our other men who put 30,000 in. Why? Because she gave out of nothing. That was more sacrifice than what he put in. So, guys, I encourage you to pray. What would God direct you to do? What would he direct? And he would challenge you regarding your, your discipleship. Hey, look, this is a creative voice. We got another man who just retired as a chemist. He was in his late 50s. He just retired as a chemist. He goes, man, I'm just, I'm tied up. All my money now is locked away. What do I do? He came up with an idea. 
And the idea was that he would rehire, ask the chemist, he sold his pharmacy, he said to the guy, if I worked for you every Saturday, would that give you a day off? Would that be helpful? He did it for three years. He made a commitment of $30,000. He could earn 10000 bucks a year by working all day Saturday. He did that and put it into God's work. We had another young couple who were going to build a, a, a room. They said, we've got no disposable income. Can we put that off for three years? They put it off for three years and put that money into the stewardship campaign. Wow, I've never forgotten those. Some of you here will be able to do things like that. You've got several weeks. See, we don't believe that we should do an emotional offering. You know, like imagine Sam said, this is the offering. Get your wallets out, let's empty them now. That's ridiculous. I wouldn't follow a lead like that. We say, you need four to six weeks to go and do your sums. You need to sit down with your wife and work out your, your budget for the next 12 months, three years, and, and make it a realistic faith sacrificial commitment. Think it through, work it through. We actually say, if somebody can't fulfill that commitment, say in the second year, they can renegotiate that. We just say, hey, come on. If, if something's happened, you lost your job or there's a circumstance, we, we just say, come on, we can renegotiate it. Then every 12 months, new people coming in, we invite them to be part of the campaign. So next year, October, the new lot of people coming in, they'll be encouraged to do that as well. So, so guys, you are more than capable of raising a significant amount of finance for the kingdom of God to see it fulfilled. But we aren't going to pressure you. We aren't going to talk about it much throughout the year. We just expect you to pray, to talk to the Lord, work it out together, and come on that Sunday, put your commitment in. This is my three-year commitment. This is what I'm going to invest in the first offering. And I tell you, Kath and I, we don't give to be blessed, but we are the most blessed people. Amazing how God has provided for us. We give a significant amount, and we don't want you to take it out of world missions. But the other day, Kath just gave a thousand bucks to Africa, to, to a situation that, that arose. And uh, so we, we give to missions, just, just out of that. Someone that's really sick and needed to be immediately transported, a, a wife. Just, and, so, and so she did that. So I'd say, look, I encourage you, give to missions. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. The poor in other countries are a major priority for us. And, uh, and also your tithes. So I want to encourage you. Look, the final thing is, let me read this, this verse to you about strategy. This is Jesus. If you've never read the parable of the shrewd manager, you've got to read it. It's a beauty. But one that theologians break their brains over. And what does he really mean? Well, just read what he says and just accept what he says. This is what he says in the parable. He doesn't commend dishonesty. But he commended this guy that was shrewd, the shrewd manager. And he made this comment. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager. You've got to read the whole story. Because he acted shrewdly. And he goes, listen, the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. He goes, learn from outside. He goes, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, in other words, the money's gone or you're gone. You are going to die. You know that, don't you? In a long time away. <laughs> hey, I had to face that reality last year. I could have died on the operating table. I had to face my mortality. 
I've come back out of it thinking, I've got less days to live now than I've had. I'm 66. Like, every day is going to count for Jesus. Every cent that I earn. Somebody wanted to, to raise some money the other day, just another matter, and it was a bit of a harebrained scheme. I said, I don't want to put money into that. That thousand bucks into the poor in Africa, do that, Kath. We'd have, we have just ordinary clothes. We live within our means. We want to give as much as we can away for the kingdom and look after my four kids and my seven grandchildren. This is the Greek way. If you've got a grandchild, put a thousand bucks aside every year. Stick it in a high interest earning account. I've got eight of them. I'll have seven of them. One of them's 15. And we've said in my will, my will says, when you're 21, you can get it, but you have to buy a property. That's the Greek way. If they don't, a hand's going to rise from the grave and go, so I believe in looking after your family and looking after your grandkids. In our will, we've got five divisions. One-fifth goes to the church into our perpetuity fund where it's just the interest can be used by, by the board of elders to, for mission and ministry. Hey, think big. You can be giving even when you're in heaven and you're 50 years in heaven and the money that you've put in will still be used. Hey, he says use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Who are these friends? You know what the friends are? When you get to heaven, Carol, someone's going to come and say, hey, Carol, you're a champion. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, because it was because of you that I came to Christ. You go, I don't even know you. It's because you gave to that missionary or you gave to that particular purpose. And God uses that to win people to Christ and say, on that day, they're going to be your welcoming committee for eternity. But you can't see it now. So make an investment. Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone or when you're gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Hallelujah. Vision, faith, action, strategy. They're the four words. My aim today was to reinforce what your local lead pastor shared last week with his wife, and I thought they were magnificent. And I'm, look, seriously, I'm going I'm to look at making a contribution. I haven't told Kathy this. I want to make a contribution. Hey, but I'm giving... I want to give something here. Why not? I feel like this... If I was living up here, I'd be here. I'd kick Sam out and become the lead pastor. <laughs> hey, seriously, this is a wonderful opportunity. Can we stand together? Let's stand. And I want to stay true to the... We're trying to be short services because we've got beautiful kids out there that need to be picked up by their loving parents. If your husband and wife or you, you can hold each other's hands, why don't you do that? I'd like to, you to join together. If you're on your own, Jesus is holding your hand. I want to pray for you. Loving Father, thank you for the privilege of ministering your word. Thank you for men like Nehemiah, Abraham, James, this amazing woman. Stories that speak to us of the power of vision to transform our hearts. The dynamic of faith to actually reach out and receive even though we haven't seen it. You call us to action. Strategy. Thank you, Lord, that this church is moving forward. And there's an action plan, a strategic direction, not just for now, but for the next few years. And I pray, bless them. 
Bless every person here. Bless everyone who's watching online. Bless those that will watch it in the coming days. I pray that they will all arise, take hold of the vision, because it's as clear as can be, that faith will stir in their hearts, that you will speak to them about what they should contribute. And may, Lord, this cause them to deepen their roots in you and in the commitment to this local church that's going to be here for decades and decades and decades to come. So, Lord, bless them. Bless every man, every woman, every child. And may we just be absolutely blown away by the number of miracles that you're going to provide as we move forward in this way. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus' glory. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> He's done well, hasn't he? Stick to his time. Hey, bless you all. Thank you, Bill, for coming and inspiring us as a church, but not just as a church, but I think also as individuals. You know, we had a, had a, a vision this year of, of putting our roots down deep, uh, and you really spoke to that this morning about us personally following Jesus you know, looking to him as, as the one who leads us and, and grows us. And as we put our roots deep down into him and we go deeper in the things of God, church, uh, we're going to be amazed at what God does and opens up for us and continues to lead us on. We're, we're on that path. We're walking. We're stepping out in faith and we're believing for the next open door and then the next open door. Bless you all. Uh, I invite you to grab a coffee, stay around for a chat. And, uh, yeah, love to just uh, spend time with one another. Uh, bless you all, and we'll catch you next week. Remember, Father's Day next week. Uh, be a great service, great creative service. Come along, and, uh, yeah, feel free to invite people to that service as well. Bless you.